This is a, a great time of year. It's called Advent when we think and prepare for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. And also today we're going to be celebrating communion, the breaking of bread and the, the drinking of wine. And I want to try and put the two together so our hearts are ready for that act. God has given us imaginations. He's given us a mind so that we can think about him. So I want you to use your imaginations now. Seated at the great desk, the author opens a large book. This book has no words because no words exist. No words exist because no words are needed. There are no ears to hear words. There are no eyes to read these words. The author is alone. And so he takes a great pen and he begins to write. Like an artist that gathers his colours together to create a masterpiece. Or a wood carver his tools to create a great work of art. The author will assemble his words. There will be three words. Three single words. And yet out of these three single words will pour millions and millions of thoughts. On these three words, his story, history, will suspend. And so he takes his great pen and he begins to write. He writes the first word. T-I-M-E. Time. Time did not exist until he wrote it. Because he himself is timeless. But history, his story, will be encased in time. His story will have a first rising of the sun, a first sifting of the sand. His story will have a beginning and an end. It will have a final chapter. And the author knows what the final chapter will be, even before he writes it. T-I-M-E. Time. A footspan on eternity's trail. And then slowly and very tenderly the author writes the second word. It's a name. A D A M Adam. And as he writes it, he sees Adam. He sees the first Adam. Then he sees all of creation. In a thousand different eras. In a thousand different lands. The author sees them all. Each instantly loved. Each a child. Each permanently loved. And to each the author assigns a time. To each he appoints 
a place. This is no accident. This is no coincidence. This is the author's design. And the author makes a promise to each and every Adam. In my image, he says, I will make you. You will be like me. You will laugh. You will create. You will never die. And you, each of you, will live. For each life (coughs) is a book. Initially, not to be read, but a book to be written. The author will start each life story. But each life story, the person will write their own ending. Some would say that is a dangerous liberty. Wouldn't it be safer to start and to finish each story for Adam? To script each action? It would be simple. It would be easier. And it would be safer. But it would not be love. Because love can only be love if it has the choice to choose or not to choose. And so the author decides to give each Adam a pen. And as he does so, he whispers in each Adam's ear lovingly, Write carefully. Write carefully. And then lovingly and very deliberately, the author writes the third word. And already... He feels the pain. E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L Emmanuel. The greatest mind in the universe. Imagine time. The truest judge in the universe granted each a choice. But it was love. Sheer, unadulterated love. That gave us Emmanuel. God with us. Amazingly the author would enter his own story. The word would become flesh and dwell among us. That he too would be born. He too would be human. He too would have hands and feet like you and I. He too would know tears and trials and joy. And more importantly... He too would have to make a choice. Emmanuel, God with us, would stand at the crossroads of life and death and make a choice. He pauses as he writes his own plan. But he cannot stop. He has a choice. God Incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, made a choice to come and to be among us and to start a journey that would begin on earth and end at the cross. Why? Because he loved us. And I want to think in that context as we think about the 
communion that we're just about to participate in. So if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn to Luke 15, we're going to read a very well-known parable. Luke chapter 15. And we're going to read the parable of the prodigal son. It's a well-known parable, but there's lessons that we can learn as we think about this great and wonderful truth that I think should excite us. Emmanuel, God with us. Luke 15, and we'll begin to read from verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him out to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses. He said... How many of my father's hired men have food and to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will go back, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on his feet. Put a ring on his finger and sandals, oh sorry, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And we'll pray that God will bless that reading from his word. Sometimes when you read scriptures, as I I do, it's sometimes good to try and put yourself in to the position of what you're reading. And just to try and understand this parable a little bit more, I thought I'd put myself in the position of the prodigal son. And the time that we're introduced to him, he's not in a really very good place. All the good times, all the great times had gone. He had squandered. He, he had um, spent everything. He was now on the bottom rung of the ladder. He could fall no further. And sometimes 
God in his graciousness, and I use that word, graciousness, God in his graciousness sometimes brings us all to that point where we can fall no further. And the only way is to look up. It's the only way sometimes God can catch my attention, your attention, and all the busyness of life. And here's this man, and the scripture says, he came to his senses, and he begins to think about home. And he realizes a lovely truth. He realizes that in his father's house there are many servants and they all have bread and to spare. There's plenty there where he has none. Enough and to spare. And I'd like you to keep that thought in mind as we we just go through that. Enough and to spare. Look at the table. Look at the bread. Look at the wine. There is enough and to spare. Our God is a generous God. But we can say these words, enough and to spare, but what do they mean? If they're not real to us, if they're just words, then we may as well all just go home because we've heard it before. What does it mean for you and I to know that there is enough and to spare? Enough and to spare of what? What is there there for us that there's plenty of? And I want to suggest to you, first of all, there's enough forgiveness in the Father's forgiving love. And that table shouts out loudly to us that there is forgiveness. That none of us have fallen so far that God can't forgive. And that's a lesson that the prodigal son found out when he came across the brow of the hill and he saw all the familiar sights of home and all the memories would flood back and he must have wondered what kind of reception am I going to have and all his worries were dispelled because we read these words while he was afar off his father saw him ran to him and kissed him here is a very visible and tangible sign of God's love and his assurance to the prodigal son. What did the prodigal son need at that time? He needed a big cuddle. Not a word needed to be said. All he needed to know was that he was forgiven and accepted. And that's what God the Father did. He accepted him. And in that acceptance there was forgiveness. I don't know if you've ever read a novel. It's an old one now, but it's a great one. And if you ever have a chance to read it, I would encourage you to do Cry the Beloved Country. Well-known novel by Alan Patton. And the story is about an African pastor, Stephen Kumola. And he has lost his son. The son had left the home a few years before. And so Stephen goes to Johannesburg. It's the first time he's ever been in the big city. And he realizes that this is a terrible place. 
that it's just a sinful place. And the more he delves into the life in Johannesburg, the more he discovers how far his son has fallen. And eventually he finds his son in a filthy prison cell. He's there because he has been charged with the murder of a white man. And in in South Africa in these days, that was the death penalty. And there's a scene in the book, and if you have a chance, it would be a great read over Christmas. There's a scene in the book where he goes in and he sees his son in this filthy cell. And he clasps his son's hands into his two hands. And he just stoops over them. And the tears from the father's eyes just splatter. The four hands clasped. And he said, my child, my child, at last I found you. For Kamula's son, the tears of the old priest. And for the prodigal son, the embrace of the father's forgiveness were visible and tangible signs. We all need something. Not just words. We all need something to know that what is happening is real. The psalmist says, If thou, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. Do you need a tangible sign of God's forgiveness this morning? And look no further than the bread and the wine. You couldn't get anything more tangible and more real than that. <clears throat> Taste, the scripture says, and see what it means to be forgiven. And God is saying to us, I have enough and to spare in my forgiving love. Do you believe that? That He has enough and to spare, that none of us have fallen too far, that He cannot reach us, that the forgiveness is there, and all we have to do as the prodigal did, is to go and begin that journey. And he will come, and he'll meet us more than halfway to show us that great love, the Father's forgiving love. But there's also something else in the the parable that as I began to put myself in his place, it's amazing. There I was as a prodigal son, and I'm going home to my father, And I want to ask him to forgive me. And I'm thinking, what would I do? Well, certainly along the way, I would be going over and over in my mind what I would say and how I would say it. And I'm sure that the prodigal son did that. He would say, you know, that he was unworthy as a son, but please just hire me on as a servant. But the plea, and you read the scripture, the plea was never made, for the father interrupts. And he calls the servant, he says, bring a robe, cover the rags that he's in. And I'm sure that he was in rags at that time. Bring a ring, a sign that he was still a son. Shoes, put shoes on his feet. Again, a sign of sonship opposed to a servant. Because all the servants in those days would be barefooted. And then he says these words. For this my son was dead 
and now is alive. He's lost and is found. The Father's restoring grace. You see, God not only wants to forgive us, which is amazing in itself, but he wants to restore us to our rightful places as sons and daughters of the living God. That's who we are, amazingly. You and I are sons of the living God. Take it in. Believe it. Because it's true. Paul puts it this way. You did not receive a spirit of slavery, but the spirit of sonship and of children then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Amazingly, we are on the same level as Christ. We are fellow heirs with him because of God's restoring grace. There is enough and there's plenty to spare. What do you do with spare? You go and share it, I hope. Great time at Christmas to share what God has done. Well, we need to. And I'm glad that you've been doing it through the Billy Graham Christ, um, <coughs> video. We need to go and share about God's <coughs> enough and to spare forgiveness. We need to go and share about God's restoring grace. I read a lot. And there's a guy probably you've never heard of called Frank Kaffer. And he wrote a, a parable about the reaction that sometimes people have to suffering. And the story is told of this young salesman, very, very good young salesman. He was on the up and up. Everything was going great for him. Until one morning he wakes up and he looks in the mirror and he finds that he's been changed that he finds that he's in the form of a horrible-looking insect. Now, although he still retains human feelings and still has his intellect, he is horrible to look at. And this parable, this story, is all about the reaction and response that he gets from his family, those who claim to love him. His mother, his father, and his sister. Now initially they are shocked, everybody would be, but then they're pitiful and they're happy that he remains with them as long as he stays in his room. As long as none of the neighbours or anyone else sees him, that he will remain a prisoner in his room. And some time passes and things begin to change. Because that pity that he ha- they had for him slowly turns into loathing. They can't stand the sight of him. And that loathing turns into revulsion, so much so that they abandon him, they just leave him. And the one desire that they all end up with is this, that they want him to die. They don't want anything to do with him. And I was thinking how utterly formed that is to the picture that we have of God in this parable. You see, we don't know it. Or maybe we do, but we don't realize it. But sin, when we sin, causes us to be ugly when God looks upon us. 
But because of that restoring grace, and because of the blood shed and the body broken, God sees us, and He comes, and He gives us something beautiful. He gives us a coat. That coat, that robe, that will cover all the ugliness that sin can cause. He gives us a ring because he wants to know that we are accepted. This ring here makes me accepted to Miriam. We're married, we're one. God gave the son a ring to remind him that he's one. And the shoes, again, just a reminder of who we are. Remember Jesus' words when he said, Whosoever come, let him come. And that's it. God's restoring grace is for all. There's none excluded. Emmanuel, God with us. He wants to be with us. And any barrier that's there, he is willing to break down if we are willing to come to him. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. The lens that God has gone to so that we could be restored to our rightful place. And I just want to say just a little bit more and then I'll finish when I thought about this parable. It's good to know forgiveness. Amazing. Tremendous. It's good to be received and know God's grace and that's absolutely amazing. But does it end there? It didn't. It didn't for the Son because we also see that God continues to give us the things that we need for the life that He wants us to live. Being accepted as a Son, His whole outlook changed. He was on equal par with the oldest son and he enjoyed all that the father had. And God continues to do that. Jesus said these lovely words, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. If you go outside there and speak to to many people, they're hungry inside. Many of them don't know why they're hungry. But they're hungry, they want something to sustain them, to keep them, to help them to go on. And God says in Christ, if you come to me, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. You will be satisfied. The bread and the wine speak of that. I read a a lovely story. We've been thinking recently about the war and all that happened during the war and this was a story that came out of the death camps in Germany from a man called Pastor Niemöller and one day he was having communion, he was breaking the bread and the wine in a small company of each, uh, of people in the camp and this is what he said, each of us are forcefully separated from our loved ones. All of us are deprived of our freedom. All of us living in an uncertainty, not knowing what the coming day or hour will bring forth. But when we eat the bread 
and drink the wine, we have courage because we know that God will sustain us even in our darkest hour. God comes and gives us all that we need from forgiveness to grace to sustenance that leads us on to live the life that he lived. The living must die, someone said, so that the dying can live. And that's why they said it's time to kill the Lamb, the Lamb of God that shed his blood and his body was broken for us. Wasn't it great when Jesus said, it is finished. Emmanuel, God with us. It started with a child that progressed to the cross. He died on the cross. It is finished and all that we have is from God. And there's enough. And there's enough and to spare. So when we go from here, the word today is, what there is to spare, take it out and share it. Just imagine you're walking along, you meet a friend, oh, what did you do yesterday? Oh, I had a great time sitting around the communion table. That will get someone's attention right away. What? The communion? Yeah. I was just reminded how much God loved me. Just reminded how much God accepts me. Just reminded of, of who I am because of what he's done. I'm really excited. I want to share it with you because there's enough to spare. It's as simple, my friends, as that. Now, the challenge comes. What are you and what am I going to do with this word that's just been spoken? I know what my prayer is and I pray that you will know what your prayer is that God comes and speaks through his word and I pray that he will have spoken today because there is enough and to spare.